The Free for All Roundtable. Brought to you by Lexus Avon, Canada's newest Lexus dealer. Near Canada's Wonderland in the Maple Auto Mall. Luxury is closer than you think. Round one. On round one, Tim Hudak is here, former leader of Ontario's Conservatives. He's now at the Ontario Real Estate Association. Tamara Cherry is the author of the book The Trauma Beat. And Mark Warner is here, international trade lawyer. Let's actually start with the heavens. And the TDSB is deliberating today whether or not they are going to be eclipsed by a solar event. Uh, Tamara Cherry, let me start with you on this one. I, I don't know how measurably it changes the lives of children as to whether they're on their way home from school or they have a day off when there's an eclipse as concerns whether or not they're going to look at it. I don't know how immeasurably it changes the lives of children if they have a PD day on April 8th or a PD day on April whatever it is. I, I honestly don't see the big deal in this at all. Have school on that day, don't have school on that day. It's not like kids are getting an extra day off and, and parents are having to find an extra day to find childcare. I will tell you what impact this has had on my life. Last time we talked about this, after I got off air, I went on Amazon and I ordered some solar eclipse glasses for my kids. So I'm quite looking forward to this. <laughs> okay. Or you can get them into you know some sort of business that requires a visor. Uh, Mark Warner, I, I don't know. Is it a liability issue? Why is this even being debated? Well, I guess it is a liability issue. There's a there's a risk if, if people do look directly into the sun. I I guess I'm trying to remind myself. It's, I always in trouble when I hear these stories about eclipses because it seems every time I hear a story about an eclipse, it's supposed to be the last time it's going to happen until the next hundred years, and then I seem to hear another eclipse story <laughs> the next year. You know, <laughs> just, but okay. And I do I do remember a, a, a big eclipse when I was a kid living in Halifax and. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to remember whether we went to school during it. I seem to think we did. And that we I, I don't know what time of the day it hit, but I think we were all gathered around and put into, uh, I guess, as I always did in those days, the gym. Um, but I, I, I guess if it's going to hit at the time when people are, are leaving school, then I guess you don't have that option. Uh, so, that, you know, see if you can. There's so many PA days nowadays. <laughs> you would just switch one of those around. Yeah. That might be the best thing to do. Yeah. I mean, Tim Hudak, I just find myself thinking of like uncontacted Brazilian tribes when we, you know, talk you about do. the special measures for an eclipse. <laughs> yeah, I, guess, I guess you do, eh? Man, look, well, look, I mean, there's pretty much even odds that the Toronto District School Board, when offered any opportunity, will make the wrong decision. So, okay. my guess is that they will change the day and not allow students to go to school on the eclipse. Turn it into a learning experience. John, I mean, you were talking about this earlier on. Remember the eclipse in the 1970s, Our Lady Victory School? We were there. We learned how eclipses worked. We understood why, you know, the skies move that way. We took protections in place. We actually made it something that I remember to this day several decades later. Why can't we do this? I don't think this is about liability. I don't think it's about protecting the kids. I think it's about laziness in the school board to actually turn this into a good learning experience. Yeah, the the only eclipse I remember was when I was a teenager, but it was a lunar eclipse, and they're particularly boring, and I managed to fall off the roof of a garage while trying to watch it, so <laughs> not the happiest of memories. Go Train operators, their union is complaining about a new rule where apparently if you're involved in an accident, you can't leave the cab, and what we're talking about here is, for example, train strikes a person, the body is lying in front of the train or underneath it, and the operator has to stay on the train. Train. Mark Warner, I'll start with you on this one. Um, I can appreciate how that might be the more humane thing for the operator, but apparently their union is grieving it. Yeah, I, I, um, 
I don't, I'm not sure what the union's point of view of, of it is, because I, I imagine that when the, when the people do get out of the trade and sort of deal with these, it could be very traumatic. And then there are probably all sorts of claims for, you know, uh, support that you have to pay out and all of that. And plus, if they get injured getting out of the trade. So I totally understand the rule. I'm not 100% sure what the union point of view of it is. I really don't get what their angle is, but I, I do get it from the employee, from the go train angle. I can see um, all sorts of problems with people, you know, getting out of the train or, or getting some sort of PTSD from trying to help that person. And because you'll see people in some oftentimes very gruesome situations, it seems to me. Yeah, and Tim, I would think that the wider complaint is the union is grieving the fact that apparently the number of days you get off after having been involved in an incident is being shrunk from seven to three. Oh, oh, really? So they're they're fighting back on that. It's, it just seems like this rule is getting in the way of, of humanity, right? I mean, if it is your instinct to try to go out and help to attend, to just give some consolation to the individual, to tell them that hang in, their help is on the way, why not allow a fellow human being an opportunity to do so? Tomorrow, you've written about trauma, so I guess you probably have a perspective on this. Yeah, I absolutely. Um, I, I listen. I understand where the company is coming from, but I absolutely understand where the union is coming from, and wholeheartedly agree with what Tim just said. Um, it, you're you're not going to have an untraumatic situation if you don't have that employee leaving the train. I have spoken with several people over the years about the trauma that um, is experienced by subway operators, by go train operators, because of what they see from the front of the train when, you know, the the story, the the guy in the uh, Adrian Gobriel story on CTV National News who was talking about this, guy or gal, we don't know, um, but the go train operator was describing, you know, seeing the person standing alive on the tracks, the white of their eyes, and and then they're dead. And and as the union says, if there is a chance at, at saving a life, and there rarely is when it comes to these sorts of things, but there, if there is a chance, then um, it could be a matter of seconds of getting to that person and trying to help them. And there is further trauma that can be caused to that employee if they feel that they cannot help somebody because they're, they're you know, they're boss says that they're not allowed to help them, that can cause immense moral injury, increase the trauma. But again, um, obviously a lot of trauma that comes with going and seeing things up close. So this is just uh, my hugest issue with this is how in the hell do you decrease the amount of days off for somebody that's just witnessed such a horrific thing from seven days off to three days off? I don't like putting that number on there. Well, and tomorrow worth noting that uh, according to everything I've read about it, when an operator on the TTC on the subway is involved in somebody killing themselves, many times they never take the controls of a train again. Yeah, well, I, I, I've, I've heard that as well, John, but there are some people, there are people who have experienced it multiple times in their careers. I remember there being a story many years ago when I was working in Toronto about, uh, I remember reading about a subway operator who it happened and then a few months later they were back on the job and it happened again. So, um, but what you just said absolutely speaks to the trauma that is involved in these sorts of things. Interesting feature this morning about some employers in British Columbia who are suing workers who quit without giving two weeks notice. Maybe I'll start with the lawyer on this one. Mark Warner, <laughs> I get it. This, this story is probably going to be framed in terms of young people can't be relied upon for anything anymore. <laughs> but I mean, do the employers actually have legitimate uh, grief uh, here? 
I think so. If you signed up uh, with a contract or you have an employment arrangement, you've got to give a certain amount of notice. I, I don't know how much money they'll get back from these people. So um, I'm not sure how practical it is, but I suppose if it, depending on what kind of business you're in, you may want to send a message out there because it may be happening very frequently. Changing, you know, onboarding people and getting rid of them and all of that is uh, is a very costly process to a business. And um, you know, so a lot, especially with smaller businesses, these are these are major costs. And um, I could see why you'd want to set an example. Uh, I don't. It's hard to know without knowing more of the specifics. But yeah. I, in general, I don't see a problem with it. Well, Tim Hudak, in the examples that are cited, they are young people, and increasingly young people don't play according to corporate rules. Uh, yeah, sure. But th- this is nasty, right? An employer going after a couple of people and trying to ding them for a couple thousand dollars and somehow claiming damages. These individuals were not running the company. They weren't the CFO. The notion that your business grinds to a halt, yeah, it's too bad. It doesn't reflect well on the individual's character, not to give you any notice. But as an employer, John, I could never imagine going after a former employee and try to nickel and dime them like that when it comes to my budget but would mean a lot to them i just think this is plain wrong look if it were the ceo if it were the you know the executive suite that suddenly leaves then i think you've got cause to say damages here you know say goodbye fill the position move on listen i want to jump to a few other topics here and tomorrow this is completely in your wheelhouse um the sammy team inquiry has ended and there's some interesting preliminary recommendations one of them is that the window should be different for the reporting of a police officer who pulls his or her gun way too often uh, the other i found really interesting and again this is you know touches on your book um the idea that there should be counseling for the family members of somebody who dies in a police encounter. Yeah, I mean, we as a society, John, as I absolutely outlined in my book, we do a deplorable job of taking care of the most vulnerable among us. Um, And when somebody's loved one dies, um, when they experience a a traumatic loss in particular, something that they weren't expecting, by way of gunfire, whether it is at the hands of a police officer or whether it is at the hands of a gangster or whether it is at the hands of that person themselves, um, their, their surviving family members should have support made available to them. Um, we do an awful job of taking care of the most vulnerable among us, and the ripple effects of that can can impact all of us. For example, when a child who experiences a, a traumatic event is not adequately taken care of, what is the impact of, on society um, when that child grows up and, and that trauma starts to present itself in ways that are not perhaps favorable to everybody else around them? Um, I, I find this issue hugely important. Uh, from the victim and survivor perspective, but then also what you mentioned about, um, you know, peer intervention. I am hugely interested in the topic of what happened, what is the cost to society when we don't adequately take care of the people who are charged with taking care of all of us. And I've been fascinated watching the Samia team inquest unfold through that lens, I think there's still a lot of questions that have not been answered and a lot of broader sort of societal questions about, you know, how we work with police um, when things happen, like they're pulling their gun many times. Mark Warner, it's been 10 years since Sammy Atim was killed by a Toronto police officer. I've heard no small number of times people say, you know, if you don't want to get shot, don't pull out a knife on a streetcar. But still, surely this could have ended differently. Oh, I think it could have. You know, years and years ago, I was much more involved in these sorts of issues. And what what always amazed me when these things come up these days is how little really has changed in terms of the 
the way we look at it. I mean, one of the constants in these things is when we do see police officers involved in these cases, whether it's Canada or the United States, say that for Tamara, it's important to understand that they're usually officers who have a record, who have a pattern. These things don't come out of nowhere. And the only difference between Canada and the United States is we don't get to know it until after the fact. There were some people expressing great surprise in the court case when the exact extent of this guy's record uh, in terms of pulling his service revolver were, were came out and people said, well, I thought we knew that. Well, we didn't know. We knew rumors. We never heard it officially until 10 years later, but it's absurd. So that's part of it. These these are, these bad apples are there and you got to get to, got to deal with them earlier. And that's where I put the major focus because none of it really isn't a surprise. In Canada, it's only a surprise because we have this thing of not talking about things. So then we're going to surprise. <laughs> Thank you all. Good to have you this morning. Mark Warner, Tim Hudak, and Tamara Cherry. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.